0: Welcome to the Internal Communications Podcast. We're here to kickstart a revolution in internal communications. Yeah. Businesses today are entirely dependent on talent, and that makes internal comms the biggest source of untapped potential in companies. In less time than the average Netflix binge session, we'll bring the most innovative internal communications together and push the field into the future. Subscribe and don't miss our episodes. Now I'm introducing your host. Jonathan Davis. Welcome, everybody. We're back with
1: another episode of the Internal Communications Podcast. In fact, it's the first of the new year, 2021, and um, I think we're all still praying and hoping that it will be much better than 2020, though that bar is not very high, is it? Anyway, we talked enough about that in the past two episodes, where for the first time we had kind of a a panel interaction thing going on with multiple guests at once. Uh, However, now, with a new year, comes a new fresh start, as people say and I figured that we need to go back to the basics of what this podcast meant. You see, when we set out this podcast, one of the biggest things that we really wanted to do was bring in that external inspiration and bring that into the world of internal communications. And for that, I could find no better guest to kick off the year than my good buddy, Frank van der Koppel, with whom I've worked before. And I'm super excited that he's back here. You see, Frank is a PR and marketing strategist with a lot of experience and a lot of really unique insights um, into how branding works, how external communications works, but also where the synergy lies with internal communications and how we should start looking at that and what we can learn from our external communications partners. So without further ado, before I start
2: rambling on more, Frank, welcome. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Hi, Jonathan. Thank you so much for the nice introduction. My name is Frank van der Koppel. I am a digital strategist at HPB. Um, HBB, also formerly known as the PR agency in the Netherlands, is a Uh, is an agency specialized in PR and earned first marketing. Um, And I'm part of the, well, part of the strategy team, of course. I am, uh, so most of my experience is in external communications. Um, I mostly specialized in social media marketing, uh, content marketing, storytelling, and uh, of course, the broader digital sense of the word marketing. Um, And I do believe that 2021 will be a great year. I have lots of hopes for brands that will make kick-ass content
1: right so okay (laughs) um i think that you've mentioned the word content twice now and storytelling as well and i think that that was our angle when we initially started speaking because we both have a massive love for storytelling except you know we've been focusing very much on how to uh, portray that on the inside, and you've been doing that very much in to the rest of the world. Now, I think that there are a lot of things that we can learn from your insights, so I'm really curious to hear what kind of trends you've been seeing within the world of branding, communications, external communications, and digital marketing that you think that we can pull into internal comms. So why don't we start off with that? What have you started noticing? What do you think our audience can learn from the developments in that field?
2: Well. It's uh, This is a great question. Um, I've given this one quite a lot of thought. I also just coincidentally yesterday published a blog about social media trends, which is more focused on external communications um, in which I highlighted that hygiene factors are very important again. They are always very important, but I think this year they are incredibly important. And then I specifically highlighted uh, well things like community management, clarity, and uh, yeah, well having this added value in your communication. So really thinking about what you're saying, but also why you're trying to say it, which is very, very relevant. Um, so over the past few months, we've had, well, we've had, we're living in a pandemic, we had a US election, we had a the inauguration, we've had um, Christmas, uh, the holiday season, we've had many big events that, uh, and on social media, it's the consensus that when there's a big conversation trending, uh, you probably won't get in between with your, uh, well, with your brand message. Um, I've experienced this firsthand with a uh, hashtag to dress so for those of you who still remember the dress that was either gold, gold, black, or black, blue, or it was white, uh, white gold. Um, the post from Tumblr that went viral that that one actually, um, uh, so I was working for Netflix at the time and we were just launching house of cards. And this was the only thing that was trending higher than house of cards. So that was, uh, that was like, wow, <laughs> what's happening. Um, which me, uh, which brings me to my point that a lot of people have a lot of things on their mind. And if there's no mind space, uh, which you can measure by looking on Twitter, what people are thinking about, for example, um, then you shouldn't bring a message in between that you think is important. Um, so I saw, um, I think I saw one of the bigger car corporates on LinkedIn going live on the same day as the US inauguration. I don't think anybody watched because they didn't have the attention at the moment they didn't have the right mind space. Um, other trends I'm seeing, so clarity has become even more important. You need to be incredibly clear to your audience. Um, you need to really think uh, that you only have, uh, uh, we'll go back to the 140 char- 40 characters. You only have like this one second to get this attention of a person um, on lots of media, even less. Um, I think on Instagram, the average is uh, 0.3 seconds uh, for you to grab somebody's attention before they scroll through. So you need to be very clear with your message. But
1: actually, I've got a couple of important questions here, because um, mm-hmm. to be honest, you're mentioning community management and what you've been seeing on social media and you know, kind of looking at Twitter to judge general consensus. Now, obviously, within companies, more and more, um, these internal social platforms are becoming much more important. And we've always advocated um, that you, when you're looking at those social platforms, kind of take the approach that a community manager would, right? as if we are talking about a community here, we've got topics that we need to discuss, we need to nurture this community, we need to get them engaged and that type of stuff, rather than you know more traditional internal communications of sending messages. It's really about creating conversation, which was a massive shift within marketing uh, around a decade ago, let's say. Now you're talking about Mindspace, I'm wondering, how do you feel about this see i was thinking now that we're not in an office anymore none of us really are most of the desk workers are uh, working from home are connected somehow um unless you're in you know wonderful places like australia or new zealand where the virus is basically not active anymore uh may that continue to be so now i'm thinking when you're in those places you're even further removed from work and there are even more external stimuli. So you mentioned the inauguration. Would you say that if you start noticing that, that also from an internal comms perspective, you really need to take a little bit more note as to what's happening in the world around you when it comes to the timing of sending your messages? Because I think that that's one of the biggest things that I'm drawing now as a conclusion.
2: I fully agree with this. And it's it's uh so, so a thing we do in external communications is always uh, especially when it comes to social media and content marketing is always um, having like a live barometer of what's happening out there we're always looking at what are people talking about right now um, is there a moment that we can uh, well we can bandwagon on a trending topic to make a to make a statement um, so for example for one of my clients I just uh, we bandwagoned on world toilet day for example to make a statement about that not that many people uh, that there's still a lot of people out there in the world that don't have proper sanitation for example and we just did one with um with drinking water as well for blue monday which is uh really using one of these topics that people just talk about pop culturally and making it mean something making a statement in there um and i do think uh, so I, I don't. Yeah, so I don't necessarily fully agree with the office metaphor because when you're in an office, I mean, we both worked in offices when the MH17 flight crashed in in the Ukraine from the Netherlands. Uh, not to make it too dark in the podcast in the start of the year. I'm sorry, um, but I, I remember everybody getting the push, push message from the major news outlets, and somebody just turned on the TV in the common room, and uh, everybody just stood there with their hands in front of their mouth. I, I do think that we still had this. Um this thing of, you know, being in the part of the real world while, while, while still sitting in the office. Um, I've also been biased because I've worked at digital agencies uh, all of my career. So we were always on Twitter, always looking at the news, what's happening. Um, and I do think this, this mind space has become incredibly important since the beginning of the pandemic, because people have started to worry about themselves, about their safety, about their health, about their uh, their job security, about their families. There's so much to worry about. Um, for me personally, during the first wave, uh, the first few weeks, I couldn't really concentrate, couldn't really get to my um, uh, well preferred productivity level. It was incredibly hard. And the only thing that got me uh, got me out of that was talking about it and making a conversation about it. Um, and I think that's part of the key factors right now to create that shared mind space together. Um, when a company really addresses it to so talks about it, makes uh, you can make jokes about it because everybody's in the same situation. Um, so for example, at hbb we have this, um, uh, we have a, uh, I don't even know how to translate, it's like a coffee quarter uh, in our calendar all day and you can just hop on in when you, whenever you like. Um, I use it for quick meetings, don't tell them. And uh, But most of the people actually uh, uh, use it to drink coffee together. So they just have this moment to talk to each other and be like, hey, how's your day? And I think that's very important for the mind space. Uh, coming back to internal communications um, is to really think how much are you communicating? Is it really adding something to your day? Is it really... Uh, necessary to communicate something and one of the things that's uh, been well I've been thinking about for internal communications is not to treat your employees as employees or your coworkers, workers uh, to which you can just blurt out everything and that, that you expect them to read everything but treat them like an audience from the outside treat them like uh, people that don't necessarily have the attention or not necessarily the energy to read something you think is interesting. And, yeah, I think uh, within
1: uh, that also your point about clarity yes. is gonna is mm-hmm. gonna come in, right? Because I, I think that this is something for me was one of the biggest things that I learned. I started off as um, a, a writer really before I decided to do external or internal communications, and I, I think there are a lot of internal communicators in the same boats. A lot of internal communicators either have affection for or come from a journalistic background. Uh, we love writing things, but that means that sometimes we can get carried away. Um, we, we can kind of go in a prosy way and we, we love the way that we use language and um, it's not necessarily focused on clarity. It's It's also focused on creative use of language, entertaining, these type of things, which I think is important, obviously, because that brings in attention span, but not if it's all you're doing. Right. So that, that kind of clarity part, one of the biggest things that I learned um, didn't come from copywriters or, or other journalists or anything like that. It actually came from UX design. You know, t- t- embracing that don't make me think mindset, making your point clear, bringing it out there. And then also keeping in mind to your point about mind space, uh, the right context for the message. So is this the right moment to send out the message when a presidential inauguration is going on, for example? Am, am I kind of touching on what you meant with clarity there?
2: You've entirely touched the point and you've also opened, uh, opened up another thing that I think is very important uh, from UX design. Uh, I've also just finished a course. Uh, a very important thing in UX design is to uh, really map out your audience or your preferred users. Um, you usually use personas, uh, which is a thing we do in external communications as well. Um, that, we just, that we create certain uh, well story kind, kinds of stories about people that we'd like to reach uh, often in groups. And um we gather data about them. we uh, we map the psychographics. So we think about uh, and map out what are they thinking, what are their needs, what are their concerns? what do they uh, do they even have attention for these kinds of things? And, um, for example, also where to reach them and how to reach them. Um, and this is something I think is uh, is widely used in the external communications that you really think about your uh, target audience and about what they're doing and why your product is relevant to them. And in uh, content marketing, we often use the common ground model, which is uh, on one hand is the part uh, of the brand Uh, what what the brand would like to talk about. And on the other hand, you have what the audience would like to hear. And when you smush them together, you get the common ground, which is what what they would like to hear and what they're interested in. Um, Treating an internal audience like a target audience uh, will automatically enable you to create a strategy to think about what do you you want to achieve with internal communications? Um, Are you trying to achieve consensus? Are you trying to get them to be more engaged at work? Are you trying to um, get them to exude the purpose of your company to the outside world? Um, so then you, you have a strategy in place, you think of them as target audiences, and then you can you also have argumentations uh, on the point we made earlier uh, that you can uh, that you can say, no, this is not relevant to communicate right now when you get a request from internally. Um, this is something that is exactly the same for social media, um, as a lot of companies uh, think you can just say anything on social media. Um, Which is the opposite. The opposite is true, of course. Uh, You need to think about your audience. And one message that's not even relevant to them could hurt your performance in there. And it always shows in the data. Um, When you have a strategy in place and when you use data, which would be my next point, uh, you can argument to your internal colleagues, for example, um, we shouldn't say this because it's not relevant or the way we're trying to say this uh, will not work. Uh, Because, of course, you can judge if it's important or not, and then maybe decide to make a video or a podcast out of it instead of sending a very, very long email that, you know, people will not... Um, will not breed. We use streaming services like Netflix, we have Amazon Prime for example, which teaches us that content is always uh, always there uh, on demand, when you want it, which is focused on as, uh, which we call asynchronical communications. Um, it's there when you want it, on demand and uh, when you make time for it and you are the one to make a decision if you want to watch it or not. Um, Next to that, we use uh, all kinds of messaging services, social media, and we've learned new behaviors. Um, We've gotten a shorter attention span when it comes to digital communications. Uh, We also know that when I write a message to to Jonathan on Slack, uh, that I don't expect a a reply right away because it's not live. Um, And if I want that, I could call him, for example. And we've learned all these new behaviors from our private lives, uh, which we're also transferring into our uh, work lives. Uh, And this is something where a lot of companies, uh, in my opinion, well, forgot or didn't really understand this part because uh, just having a a weekly meeting is not enough. You need so much more um, places to communicate and ways to communicate with your employees and also think about their attention span and if it's really relevant to them. (laughs) I I
1: know exactly what you're talking about and how you feel about this because I completely agree. I think that now, um, especially when... The overwhelming majority of our communications is digital. Um, you know, not not a lot of people are going to pick up the phone. Uh, more people will do a video call. Um, now that that happened, we also need to help people in our company deal with those channels. So what do you communicate when and at which time, which channels is most appropriate? Why is it not a great idea to call somebody in a meeting? Because essentially, if I interrupt your day because I want to have a very quick video call, I'm basically saying my time is more important than yours. And that doesn't always work. And that's why I think exactly to your point, asynchronous communication is incredibly important and getting a better idea of using those channels and you know, making, helping people over the fear of those as well, because some people are really kind of, they don't like the idea of their message being around for longer than, you know, the span of a meeting.
0: This podcast is free of charge and commerce and only exists to bring you the unscripted experiences and opinions of today's best professionals. Whether it's AI, employee engagement, diversity and inclusion, or analytics, we've got you covered. To keep this podcast free, we would like to ask that you share it with as many people as you can and rate us, particularly on iTunes. All it takes for our mission to succeed is a couple of five-star ratings. I'm curious if you've got some
1: tips on how we could help people um, overcome this or at least, you know, give, give them some tools to deal with these new channels this, this the, uh, that seem to be popping up like mushrooms now.
2: This is a great question. Um, So let's start with the first point. Um, So for external communications, everything you say and everything you put out on the internet will stay there, um, will be interpreted by people and can be uh, taken out of the context and used in another way. So if you're not, if you don't feel secure to, or if you're scared to say something, you probably shouldn't say it because you have a reason to be scared of the reaction of your audience. Um, So really think about what you're trying to say. Is it, uh, uh, does it connect to your values? Is it part of your purpose? Is it really this important that that to communicate it that way? Um, And I also strongly believe that if you say something in a meeting, it can still be taken out of context or people can uh, take offense in something. Another part that I think is uh, important here is to use data. Uh, which we've used in external communications for decades um, is to really measure how are people uh, connecting with your brand? Are they, uh, how's their attention span? Because we can measure on most platforms what their retention, so we can measure how long they watch a video, for example, or on most platforms, how long they've read a blog. Um, Take these uh, data points and uh, try to use them internally. Uh, most internal systems also allow for some kind of data. I know Slack is amazing with data. You can see exactly who uh, who Slack's the most and who doesn't Slack a lot. Also in which group channels, for example, which shows you who are the most um, engaged employees, which is exactly what you would like for internal communications to talk to those people because they're obviously spreading the word and obviously talking to you. Um, a great way to uh, to use uh, one of the content marketing principles in your internal communications is to just measure, for example, on the internal blog, uh, how many people have read it, uh, how many people engaged, and define on that, was, it, and then look at learnings. Was it clear enough? It wasn't clear enough. Maybe uh, ask a small peer group. Uh, Did you understand what I'm trying to say or is it just not relevant to you? And really use data to optimize your message and see if your audience is even interested. Um, that will also help you to get more insights to make you less scared to say something internally because you know if it interests them or not
1: i, f- I think that you've touched upon an interesting point uh, that we've been trying to advocate for a while because <laughs> if if i'm gathering you correctly what you're saying is yes you you need to look at the amount of people that read it the likes and and you know those, those type of stuff the basic behavioral uh, kpis as we would call them but then you need to actually find out, did that lead to an increased understanding of the topic that I was talking about or anything like that? So you're not looking at outputs, which is just eyeballs and likes and stuff, but you're taking it a step further into the more strategical realm of, did this increase my audience's understanding of something. So to make this a little bit less floaty, let's say that we just released a um, kickoff to the year 2021, and we released an article, uh, and we've defined three strategic priorities for the year 2021. Now, if I'm, you know, if if I'm going to use uh, Frank's content marketing principle, that would basically mean that I'm putting this article live in my internal platform whatever that may be people read this article uh, i'm going to take a sample size of the people that have read this article and then i'm going to ask them hey now that you've read this do you actually understand those three things better it, it does will this help you in your daily work did this contribute to your overall sense of being an employee at company xyz is it, am i saying this right or am i being far too blunt and and not nuanced enough
2: I think this is a very good way, f- especially for uh, smaller to mid-sized companies, to measure uh, if people are even interested in what you're trying to say, um, because the, the the audience size is not big enough. For bigger companies, I would I, I would actually recommend, actually no, for all companies, I would recommend to use something we do in PR a lot, which is uh, do baseline research, um, research how are what are the attitudes of people, do they even know about your brand, for example, and what do they think about your brand or uh, specifically to PR, what do they think about a certain topic and why is that a problem? Um, we often do bigger uh, survey groups. We, uh, of course, do qualitative interviews and we have a lot of research points, uh, which you can do internally as well. You can uh, just send out a survey. Um, so the place where Jonathan and I work together, we had a bi-weekly happiness survey um, in which we often got questions like, do you still recognize the company's purpose in the daily work you do? Or um, do, you, do you feel heard during discussions uh, or during meetings. Um, and then of course the bi-weekly happiness score, how happy are you actually? And what is this affected by? And uh, doing that, you gather a lot of insights and then you can uh, tackle them as communications problems. Um, for example, when people don't feel the purpose as much as you would like them to, or they don't recognize it uh, during their daily work, this could be seen as a communications problem. And then you can uh, then you can strategize, look at the audiences, gather and gather more data, and come up with a more creative approach to tackle this instead of just sending another email or scheduling another all-company meeting. Um, Doing a baseline, uh, uh, doing a baseline study is uh, time-consuming, of course, but it helps you before you're trying to send it out, uh, send out a message, um, and then, of course, afterwards, after your campaign internally. Um, you would need to do another study within a similar group to see if uh, a metrics increased, to see if people do recognize their purpose right now. Um, And if it's still a problem, you can also look at why don't they do, uh, why don't you recognize the purpose or why don't you feel heard during meetings? And all these things is helping you understand your employees better and uh, make them feel heard, which helps again for a better uh, company culture.
1: Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. So um, when it comes to Internal communications and the way that we survey people. I think every internal communicator listening to this podcast has surveyed their audience at least once in their, at least once a year. And most internal communicators use and call this the employee engagement survey. Now, um, I think if we look at the external side of things, we're a little bit, you know, external surveying is done a little bit more targeted. It's exactly as you said, right? It's based around the sentiment of a particular topic or a brand or something like that. Whereas within internal comms, one of the biggest problems that we have is that we take something that we call an employee engagement survey, but really what this is, is a massive survey that collects topics like productivity. So any questions related to your productivity, to your point, happiness. So any question related to your happiness or How well do I understand my place in the business? But all three of those do not make up employee engagement. So we we need to kind of pull those apart a little bit. I think when you start targeting surveys towards happiness, for example, which is exactly what you're saying, that's so understandable for people. If you report this is the overall happiness level within our company, everybody in your company is going to say, okay, I get this. I understand what this means. Whereas if you're going to say our employee engagement went up by 20%, people are going to be, oh what is employee engagement to begin with? How does this work? So that kind of, yeah, clarity. I like that approach. I, I like the idea of doing more targeted um, surveys because it seems a little bit more sophisticated than just a general bulk and people don't see what it's for or where it where it's going. Now, when you survey people to check what's going on within sentiment around topics or around brands, um, when you've surveyed people, how do you then What do you do with those results? What do you do with those insights? Because within internal communications, a very frequent complaint is we will survey people, we will ask them how they feel about the company, people pour their hearts out and we don't do anything with the results or we're not really showing what we're doing with the results. So how does that work within your world?
2: Wow, that's a that's a really good question. Um, so for external communications, we of course have this anonymous group of people uh, who don't know the exact purpose of the study. Um, of course, they, they understand it's kind of a baseline. They will probably understand it's for a certain brand, um, but they don't have the same connection to the brand as an employee. Would for example at a company because when I I have the exact same feeling when I pour out my heart in the internal survey or in the 360 feedback things and I don't hear back, uh, it's almost like this because the company is also an entity. It's also a your employer is also a brand, um, which is this entity in your head, which is almost um, but al- almost feels like a person. Really, where you uh, and if if I, for example, uh, so Jonathan would, for example, ask me to give a lot of input and I would never hear back, then I would be um, unhappy. I would I would just think why why because you have a relationship, of course, and it's the same with your employer. You have this relationship which goes both ways. It actually and. Uh, actually sharing the metrics would, for example, be a way to to say that. Um, So for external communications, we often never, uh, so when we do communications research in order to figure stuff out, to gather insights, we of course never share that. The result would be the campaign or it would be the ongoing communications or content that we create. Uh, So they do get the value in a certain way um, and they get the, uh, get the thing that we've asked them for. Um, But And then there's, of course, the other research, which we do a lot in PR, is to try, uh, is to really uncover society's problems and to see where there is a problem. Um, So we've... uh, for example, there are, well, there are many groups that have different problems that need to be heard, and then you'd need to uncover those. So in a way, we always give back in our campaigns, of course, and that research would almost be literally published by publishers or journalists, um, as it really, of uh, it, itself a lot of value for people to know what's going on in society, and um, if people are mistreated, for example, or if there's discrimination. Internally, however, the data you get is of course a bit different. You, you're not trying to make a big statement um, because you want to keep everybody engaged. You want to keep uh, everybody there. But I do believe sharing data uh, like happiness, like a happiness score is incredibly important. Um, and the way Jonathan described this just now is really exactly working in targeted communications, um, instead of sharing the employee, the, uh, the, the yeah, employee engagement survey results, which people would think, why is this even relevant to me? If I would work at the front desk, for example, I'd be like, wow, why, why, what am I supposed to do with this? What, how does this affect my daily job or daily life or even my happiness? But if you share the happiness score, um, and what, uh, of the company and what is the productivity level and what is the impact and really, um, Pack this up as a message to be understood by all the different target audiences at your company, you will be heard and people will be understood and will feel heard as well. And they feel progress. They feel as though the story of your company is progressing and they are a part of it. In internal branding uh, projects, which are among my favorite projects to do, uh, we always do internal surveys at a company. We always do peer groups. We always implement interviews. Um, We always, uh, in fact, when Jonathan and I worked together, we also worked on the brand uh, of the company together. And one of the bigger things that we did was talking to the people inside because they are essentially what makes up your brand. And they are. Uh, the people who talk to the outside world at birthday parties they explain what they're doing and they when they tell with pride with that they have something to tell they're working on a better world for example or anything that they're working on uh, other people will feel the same and that will increase of course the um in the appreciation of the company um
1: yes and now you're now you're, dive, you're diving into the topic that we luckily still have some time to touch about because I thought this was really interesting. And I think that this is one of the um, biggest trends for 2021 within internal communications. We We had a chat about this. We were approaching the topic of thought leadership and we were talking about, well, you know, very famous saying within external communications, everybody wants to be a thought leader, but within internal communications, a lot of people use the term subject matter expert or SME, which to me is just an informal thought leader essentially. And I think one of the things that you're trying to say is, or that you said before when we had this discussion, is that when it comes to branding, there are no better brand ambassadors or social advocates as the term would go than your own employees, right? Like let's empower those people that know so much to actually talk about things. Have, have you done any of these projects before? So really looking at the experts from the inside and spotlighting them outside?
2: Yes, in fact, um, these are also among my favorite project of the past few years. Um, the entire industry is walking towards uh, either thought leadership or more entertainment communications and uh, doing different things. So exactly as you just said, um, thought leaders are experts and innovators in their topic, in their field. And they are the ones that can connect the dots and that you look for um, when looking for information or when you look, for example, at the industry industry standard. Um, this is a, uh, so for example, I look at one of my, uh, uh, of, of the people that influence my work a lot, which is uh, uh, Jacqueline Bosselaar, which is the CEO of the company I work at and the founder Um, and she is for me a thought leader and she's the thought one of the thought leaders of her company Um, and she always strongly says that everybody at her company could be a thought leader or is an advocate for the company Um, I just had a discussion yesterday about ambassadors brand ambassadors versus brand advocates Um, when I talk about talk about this in theory brand ambassadors are the ones that you pay to talk about you and to pay, to have a, 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 well, to be happy. They often have a bigger audience as they're semi-celebrities or big celebrities. Um, but you do know that they're being paid for it as, um, a lot of laws now say that you have to advocates on the other hand, are the people that put in the effort to do that for free. And what they get in return is, of course, the law from the brand, and they sometimes get incentives in the, uh, uh, for example, in the way of being invited to uh, to the launch of a new car model, or um, to get an exclusive look inside the factory or inside the thinking process of a brand. Um, and advocates, everybody could be an advocate for their company. Everybody should be an advocate for their company, especially when you work in in the service industry, which is what we what most of the people here do, probably most of the listeners. Um, we are always talking to our partners we're talking internally we're talking to uh to other well there's many many external audiences and you should always uh uh, when you're an advocate you're advocating for the company you're telling the story in your own way adding your own vision to it adding your own passion to it and that's something you need to nurture that's something you need to build you need to stimulate Um, And to get back to the question, if I've worked on certain projects, uh, I've actually worked on corporate influencer guidelines projects for uh, bigger automotive corporations, um, which was a kind of program to motivate people that would like to talk to the outside world um, in a form of advocates for the company that they were motivated for it. They get the materials for it, that they have the rules, Um, and then that there were, uh, this was a German company, so that there were also rules about who owns the content, what you're allowed to say. And other data regulations
1: um actually i'm going to stop you there because corporate influencer guidelines is a really interesting point that i hadn't necessarily thought of i think it's becoming more important now to create communications policies with the mushroom explosion of channels that we already previously discussed but if you're looking at a real social or brand advocacy program depending on how you want to call it uh if you're looking at one of those programs to highlight those inner leaders i think that giving them some guidelines would also really help now I, i of course understand that you can't give away the exact guidelines for the clients that you have worked for but when it comes to setting up those guidelines how do you approach that because what i'm worried about is when we start setting up those guidelines is that people feel restricted rather than empowered so how did you deal with that
2: well it starts with the word policy I really dislike the word policy as it, yes, it, 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 <laughs> it, you know, cause it implies that you're not allowed to do certain things where in fact with guidelines, I, I also don't really like that word cause it still feels like you have to do something in a certain way. Um, I do like the, the word, uh, um, so I'm currently working on a project with rules of engagement, um, which I like a bit more still the word rules is still a bit prohibiting. Um, but it's it's important to have clarity. It's important to understand what am I allowed to do where. This is also expectation management. Uh, do, is somebody really gonna reply to my Slack message in, in about three minutes? Uh, should I call somebody if they didn't reply to me with in an, uh, to my email within the hour? Um, or what is the right channel to get something done? Because I do, uh, so I'm a big fan of the Eisenhower Quadrant or Matrix, um, which has the uh, which has the access with um, important and urgent. And then you have, of course, the, the the square which says urgent and important things to do. It's often, uh, in my opinion, misused by organizational experts uh, that you that you're only prioritizing your workload based on the urgent and important things. I actually believe that you need to stay in the middle, and you also need to do non non urgent and non important things like learning, uh, reading an article, and things that not necessarily tackle uh, tie into your workload. Um, Using this in internal communications and really teaching people how to communicate is incredibly important. But do this in a motivating way. Don't prohibit them. Give them the tools to play uh, and let them. It, uh, so rules of engagement should be something that uh, grows. And uh, this is the same for those corporate guidelines. Is you need to or corporate influencer guidelines. You need to give them the uh, the tools to get. The things done to do work on their passions and to so maybe tools is the better word corporate influencer tools or advocacy yeah, i like
1: that i like that i think that the term tools is a lot less scary in a way i, I guess if, if i mean if i'm an employee for a, a large company and i'm my company approaches me and says we would really love it if you could speak about all of your knowledge on our behalf, but here are the 15 million rules that you need to adhere to. That's maybe a little bit difficult, but here here are our tools for that. Then I will feel, oh, actually they're helping me to do this. And I'd really like to, because I love having the spotlight on, you know, in this case, my bold head, for example. Uh, so I, I think that that, yeah, that would really work. Um.
2: And for, uh, so, so really when implementing this, uh, I would always try to take it a step further, uh, offer trainings to your employees. Um, in PR, for example, we do a lot of media trainings to get people fit to talk to journalists who ask very complicated questions, uh, but training internally, offering them videos, offering them material, offering them uh, ways to, uh, to, well, for example, to create content from things that you, uh, for material that you provide to them and really helping them do the thing that they wanna do. Because in the end, will help you help your company internally and externally. Um, internal thought leaders are a topic I haven't worked that much on, but I do believe it's very important. There's always these um, certain people in your company that you believe. Oh, that's the person that knows a lot about social media. When he talks, or he or she talks about social media, um, you will believe anything they say. And you know, it's always on trend. And these internal experts are so, so important, but they, they are there in a wide range of topics and you know where to go. Um, but you need to create a platform for them to talk, of course. I uh, the, the thing uh, that really dreads me is uh, he- hearing about all company meetings where only the CEO is, for example, talking for uh, 90 minutes straight and really explaining what everybody's been doing and giving them compliments on their, on the teams what they've been doing, where in fact, actually you should let the people talk that actually worked on the project. Um, This is a clear difference in PR and, uh, uh, well, content marketing for the outside. In PR, we always uh, try to be as relevant as we can to journalists and uh, let them talk to the people they really want to talk to. Um, In the Netherlands, they very often want to talk to the CEO, to a founder, to somebody who was the lead in a certain project. Where in content marketing, um, we try to highlight people that actually worked on it, really Create this so the story would be leading. Um, for example, who worked in it? Why did they work on it? And it goes for internally as well. Let your people talk, and let them be part of the story. But do help them in a way to uh, to, to write the story. Um, where Jonathan and I worked together, we had an uh, there was an internal blogging system as well in place, and there were certain uh, examples on how to write. And they were also motivating you to all, to write often, to share what you're working on so that everybody in the company knows that you're working on it. So they could, for example, uh, it's kind of a network function as well, so that I would know, oh, Jonathan is working on this and this, even though we were not in the same team. Um, and the thing that I really, really liked is the TLDR too long, don't read or didn't read, uh, is really being uh, careful with people's time. Because right now we don't have a lot of time. Uh, For example, I get a few hundred emails a day, um, which is uh, it's notifications from my calendar, notifications from Google Drive, uh, other tools, uh, a lot of newsletters, and a lot of emails that I'm CC'd in. But really be careful with people's time and attention. And uh, I often in longer emails, write A TLDR, so people can scan, oh, is this interesting for me or not no okay it's good to know but then on to the next email so be um, not, uh, well considerate of people's times
1: <laughs> i think that uh 2021 ladies and gentlemen everybody who's listening to this podcast uh, add this to every message that we're sending out a, t- a tldr at the top of your message whatever that is it will help save a lot of time immensely now Unfortunately, we have run out of time, uh, but this was perfect. You've given us so much food for thought, Frank. Thank you very much for um, coming on board this show and sharing your knowledge as a first guest In what will hopefully, uh, as we said before, be a really lovely year. Uh, The sun is actually magically shining in this place. We're seeing it reflected upon Frank and we're seeing it actually through my window as well. So maybe that's a good sign. I certainly hope it is. Frank, thank you very, very much for joining and I hope to have you back uh, sometime soon.
2: I would love to thank you so much for your time and listening to me and um, let's be nice to each other. <laughs> Have a good year.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the internal communications podcast. We're dedicated to creating more and more amazing content for you. So please subscribe on your favorite channel. You can find all the episodes back on our website, www.happio.com podcast. And there are more supporting resources on happio.com blog feel free to reach out to Jonathan too. You can contact him by sending a mail to jonathanathapio.com or connect with him on LinkedIn. We're building a community, so don't forget to share this podcast on your social media platform.